Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you, God, for allowing us to worship you. What a great and mighty God that you are. Lord, we are in awestruck wonder at your power and at your glory. God, I know that during the middle of the week, God, there are a lot of things that distract us from you. God, there's so many times when we're focused on everything else in the world except for you when it comes to Wednesday nights. But God, I just pray, God, for the next few minutes that, Lord, you would speak to us. God, you'd speak truth into our hearts. God, we'd focus on you. And God, we would let this truth penetrate our hearts in such a way that it does not just go in one ear and out the other. God, but it stays with us, Lord, and we remember this for weeks and months and years and decades to come. God, change our lives forever through the power of your word. God, use us to bring you glory. God, we know that we can only do that if we submit to your word and we obey you and follow the leadership of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that we do that, and I pray that you show us how to do that through your word. In Jesus' holy, precious name I do pray. Amen. All right. So we've been aboard the struggle bus. We continue aboard the struggle bus. You can even see our uh, projectors on the struggle bus, as a matter of fact. You know, there's one thing that, that, that I know for sure about this struggle bus that we're talking about. There's one thing that, that I have seen continually over time, and that is that every single person, as they're aboard the struggle bus, for whatever reason, they have this tendency to think that I'm the only person that's really struggling, especially when it comes to the area of sin, especially when it comes to the area of, of sin in your life when you are a part of a church. Every single person seems to, to want to sit in the, in the chairs at church and think, well, I'm the only person that's really struggling in this particular area. I'm the only person that's really struggling with sin in my life. Everybody else is sitting around me. They have it together. They've got it all worked out. They know what's going on, and I'm the only one that's really struggling. Uh, you have a tendency to think that. I have a tendency to think that. Uh, you know, so many times we think that when we come in, into a, a place like this, that we're around a bunch of believers and, and they completely grasp everything that's in this book and they, they completely got, got everything in their mind worked out in such a way that they're not really struggling with sin. If they had sin in their life, then they, 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 they repented of it, they came down to an altar and they prayed and, and they said, I'm done with that, I'm going to follow Jesus and it's all good now and, and, and I don't have a need to, to, to go back, they don't have a need to go back down to the altar anymore. Uh, they, they've got it all figured out, it's all worked out and I'm the only person that's really struggling. I'm the only one that every time that there's an altar call, I sit there with my heart beating out of my chest knowing that I should go down there and I should pray and ask God to, to, to deal with this sin in my life, but I'm afraid to um, because I look like I'm the only one that's struggling, right? And, and you would be amazed if we could have a count of how many people in their minds sit there in those chairs and don't come to this altar and pray, even though they know that there's nothing special about coming down here and praying. You can absolutely pray at your seat, and you can absolutely, God can hear you, and you can be close to God at your chair, and that is wonderful, and that is great. But I, I, I'm telling you, there is something about being open about the fact that I need Jesus. There is something about coming down to an altar and falling down on your face before God. There's something about being transparent about your desperate need for Jesus that is so healing and so restorational that, that you can't put your mind and your words around it. 
That's why I encourage people to do it. But if we can have a count of how many people feel like God is drawing them to the altar and they should come down and they should pray because they need to sacrifice something to God, give it completely to God, turn it over to Him, but yet they sit in their seats because they're afraid that somebody else will think that they're struggling. I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine what that count would be like. Can you? Can you imagine how many people that would be? I imagine on an average Sunday, it's probably... I would venture to say it's a high number. It's probably 85% of the people sitting in here. If, if you were to really say, how many people in here, God is really calling you to this altar to come and pray and give something over to him because you're struggling, how many people? It would be like 85% probably. How many people are, are really struggling with some sin that they're not giving over to God? That's the other 15%. They, they're just not, not, they're not struggling with it because... They, the Holy Spirit doesn't live within them, so they, they're not really struggling with the sin. They're just letting it go on in their life, and it doesn't really bother them. But the, the percentage of people that know that they should come down here and pray, but don't because they're afraid of what other people are going to think of them. I would venture to say like 85%. That's probably a conservative number. It's probably higher than that. For whatever reason, people tend to think that I'm the only one struggling. I'm the only one that's, that's really dealing with something. Sin-wise, I'm talking about specifically right now. I'm not sure why it is, but I really believe that the enemy, Satan, the the one who's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, I believe that his greatest desire is to separate you, to make you feel alone, to make you feel isolated, to make you feel like you're the only one. I, I really believe that that's the way that he works more than any other way is to really make you feel like you're the only one that, that, that is struggling, you're the only one that is dealing with this. And the reality is, you're not just one person sitting on that bus. That bus, the struggle bus, is full of people. It's chalk full. People are hanging out the windows. There's people crowded on that bus because so many of us are really struggling. But the church doesn't like to... They, they, we pretend like that's not the case, right? Historically... I don't feel like we're that way at Simple Church. I try really hard to make sure that we're not that way. I try to to make sure that we don't think so highly of ourselves that we don't acknowledge the fact that we're in desperate need of a Savior because we are all broken and messed up and we've got all kinds of sin that we need to deal with in our lives. We're not going to pretend like it's not there. We're not going to pretend like it's the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about. I I can't tell you how many churches I've been to where that's the case. It's... there's sin and there's people struggling and nobody's talking about it because everybody wants to dress up on Sundays and act like they got it all together. That's not reality. That's that's not the way this life is. You know what what is so sad? Do you know why we have the church? Do you know why it's here? Do you know why we have church and, and a group of believers that get together? Do you know why? It's so that we can struggle together, confess sin to one another, pray for one another, build each other up, lift each other up. You know what happens, though? That's not what the church does. That's not what the church does. We, we, we sing songs of praise. We worship and lift our hands, and, and we hear a great message, and, and we walk out there, and people aren't doing what the church was designed to do. It's supposed to be a light on a hill. 
It's supposed to be a place where people can say, there's some place I can go for healing. There's some place that I can go and I can struggle along other side, alongside other people that are struggling just like me. They have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they are struggling, but they are struggling alongside Jesus Christ. But that's not what the church looks like. That's not what the church looks like. And I believe we're missing it. That's why I, I impress so much the, the importance of small groups, because that's the, the closest we can get uh, to, to, to each other, praying for one another, talking about the things that are in our lives, talking about our struggles. And the idea behind small groups is you'll connect with somebody there, and you'll make a smaller group, and you'll actually connect with somebody on a very personal level, and you'll struggle together. Do you know that, that Christianity was never meant to be done alone? You can do it alone. You can just follow Jesus. You can draw close to Jesus, learn about Jesus. You can do it alone. It was never meant to be done that way. It was meant to be done alongside other believers. It was meant to be done alongside other people that are struggling just like you are. And they're, they're waging war against the flesh just like you are. They're hurting just like you are. They're in the same position you are when you say, man, I wish I did not continue to do this. I wish I could just resist this completely. Christianity was meant to be done in cooperation with other believers. And we're supposed to lean on each other and confess stuff to one another. And I believe, I, I'm just so scared that, that we're missing it. I really am. I, I'm terrified that, that we're missing that main core component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to read a passage today in Galatians chapter 6 about a believer who's struggling and, and how you're supposed to deal with that. A believer specifically is struggling with sin and how that person is supposed to be addressed. Now let me tell you something. Matthew chapter 18 uh, deals specifically with sin within the church and how it's supposed to be dealt with. Let me tell you something. We will address sin this way in this church. Now, you are not going to like the approach that the Bible lays out for how you're supposed to address sin within the church. But I told you from the very beginning that what we are going to do is we're going to follow what this book says. We're going to follow this, this book word for word, letter by letter, and we're going to do what it says, and we're not going to do what tradition says. Because I believe if we will remain faithful to this word, God will remain faithful in, in, in his, his connection to us, his blessing of us. I believe that, that he will remain faithful in that if we remain faithful to his word. Matthew chapter 18, let me tell you what it says, just in a nutshell. Everybody has heard the, 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 the verses. Where two or more are gathered in his name, there I will be in the midst, Right? You've heard that like a million times. What is it usually addressing? Everybody says, well, that means that's church service, right? That, that's when, when two or more people are gathered there, God's going to be right there beside them, right? That's, that's talking about church. No, it's not talking about church. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about calling people out on their sin. What? You mean I've been learning that verse wrong this whole time? Yes, more than likely you've heard some pastor preach it the wrong way, and that's what they told you it said, okay? What it is talking about 
is the fact that if there is sin, and you know that a believer has sin in his life and they are in the church, that you're supposed to, supposed to go to that person one-on-one and confront that sin with them. If you are a believer, they are a believer, and you are both in the church, you are supposed to go to them one-on-one and confront that sin head-on. Why is that? That's what Connie told us last week. That's what she said last week. It's, it's love. That's genuine love. We got this mentality now, nowadays that if you tell me something I don't want to hear, if it hurts my feelings, then that's not loving me. If I feel bad, then that must not be love because I thought love was all about feeling good. Wrong? I'm talking about real love. I'm talking about genuine love. God corrects, he chastises those he loves. I'm talking about real, godly love. I'm not just talking about what makes you feel good. That's not real love. There's this mentality today that if you make me feel bad, that must mean that you don't love me. Wrong, wrong, wrong. In Matthew chapter 18, it says this. For Jesus says this on how to deal with sin. That you are supposed to go to that person one-on-one and confront that sin. If they do not repent, if they do not turn away from that sin and come back to Jesus, you know what you're supposed to do? You get two or more gathered together and you go and you address that person about their sin. There's supposed to be three of you that are supposed to go and address that person's sin. That's where the two or more are gathered together. In my name. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of confronting sin, in the name of trying to restore the believer. Not tear them down to restore the believer. We're going to get this in Galatians chapter 6. To restore the believer. And then if they still don't repent, you know what you're supposed to do? This, this, everybody's like, I didn't know this was in the Bible. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to take the whole church, and the whole church is supposed to go and address them in their sin. And confront them in their sin. For what purpose, Kenny? To make them feel bad? To call them out? To put them down? To bash them? No. For the purpose of restoration. Of drawing them back to Jesus. Sometimes it takes that kind of, uh, of pressure, that kind of awareness being brought right to your doorstep. Can you imagine? Somebody's in, in a sinful state and they refuse to repent. People have come to their house and called them out and said, you've got to turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus. Then the next day, the whole church shows up at their doorstep and said, we love you so much that we want you to turn from your sin and turn back towards Jesus. The whole church is here and we're here for the purpose of loving you back to Jesus. It's crazy, right? I didn't say it. You can look it up. Go read it, Matthew 18, when you get home. Then you know what happens? If they still don't repent after the whole church, after calling them out in front of the whole church, then you're supposed to kick them out of the church. You're supposed to push them out of the church. You say, man, that does not sound very loving. To separate them from the church? To isolate them? The purpose of that, the purpose of the church saying, you cannot be a part of this is because it will contaminate the whole church. It will taint the whole church. It, it will quench the spirit in the whole church. And the purpose is so that that person will realize their sin being separated from the church and they'll come back to Jesus. That's the whole purpose. That's the reason. Folks, let me tell you. 
I love you. Deeply love you. But we will, we will deal with sin according to God's word. And we will not compromise it. And we will not go against it. I believe in being faithful to God's word and being faithful to, to what he says. And let me tell you something. If, if your sin is being a distraction from what God is trying to do, if you are distracting somebody away from Jesus and away from God's word, if that is your sin, trust me, I am coming to talk to you. Trust me, I will not waver on that. I will not be afraid to come and direct you, directly talk to you about your sin. I believe that distraction is one of Satan's primary motives and he wants to, to isolate you and he wants to distract you away from what God is wanting you to understand. And I will not let you be a part of that, especially when it comes to you distracting another believer. I will come and I will talk to you directly about it. And if that doesn't work, I'm bringing two others with me. And the three of us are coming to talk to you about it. And so it goes in Matthew 18. Galatians chapter 6. It says this. Dear brothers and sisters, if any of you, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Who is he talking to? He says, he says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly. In other translations, it says you are in the spirit. You are walking with God. It's simply other believers. People that care about what the spirit of God is showing them. They, they are to come and, and they are to humbly and gently help that person back onto the right path. I, I hate to say this, but I don't see a lot of this happening. I, I don't see a lot of this happening in the believers' lives these days. This, this is what God calls us to do, and I, I just don't see it very much. You know what I see more than anything? I, I, I see people looking at situations and going, I'm not going to get involved. What do they say? This is what they say. It's none of my business, Right? It ain't none of my business. I'm going I'm to do me, they do them. It ain't none of my business, right? How about this? How about this? You go to the doctor. He does an MRI on your back, and you've got a tumor on your spine that is causing your back pain. And he really believes that it could very well be cancer, and it could end up costing you your life. But instead of telling you about it, he says, ain't none of my business. You do you, I'm going to do me, I'm going to stay out of it. Yes, I know that there's a problem there. I can see that there's an issue, and it's going to cause your demise, but I, I'm going to stay out of it. I'm going to let you deal with your own situation. I'm going to deal with my own situation. We would say he was negligent, wouldn't we? We would say, oh, that's a malpractice suit waiting to happen right there. But as believers, we're okay with doing that. We're okay with just saying, ah, let, let that go. Ain't none of my business. I'm not going to stick my nose in it. Or, or that's, that's one alternative, is to ignore it. Or you know what the other thing 
The other thing Christians will do, I, this, this is worse. Gossip, right? Hey, you know what they're doing. Have you heard about so-and-so? Did you see that? Did you hear about that? Did you do this? And, and, and did, you, did, you, did you, were you over there when they were talking about so-and-so? That's, that's why it's so damaging. And that's why God's word warns against gossip so bad because that's not the way you're supposed to do it. That's not the way that you're supposed to confront sin. That's not the way you're supposed to deal with sin because what does that do? What does that do? Does that gently and humbly help the person back onto the right path? No. What does it do? It galvanizes them, sets them apart from believers. I don't want to be a part of those hypocrites. They just want to talk about people. They want to look at me and look at my sin, but they don't want to deal with any sin in their life. And that's where dissension comes in amongst the church and divisions start coming in. And people say, I don't want to be a part of that. And it divides God's people. That's why it's so important to go to them one-on-one. That's why, that's why God says, go to them one-on-one first. Now, let me tell you something. I have had to do this. I, I, I've had to go to, to somebody one-on-one and say, look, this ain't right. You need to deal with this. You need to do something about it. Let me help you. Let me pray through this with you. And it ain't easy to do this. But I promise you, the end result is always, always, always better when you approach somebody with love, dealing with something going on in their life, and, and you say, let me help you. There are two phrases that you can use, the two most powerful phrases and two most overlooked phrases, I think, by Christians, by people in general, specifically Christians, though. There are two phrases that people miss out on, and I think they're beautiful phrases that people miss out on so much. Number one is, let me help you. And the other is this, will you help me? If you ever started a conversation with, will you help me? Immediately, somebody's, they're, they're receptive, immediately. There are a lot of times when, when I, I, need, I need something and I'll start a conversation that, hey, I need your help. I need $5,000. Can you just loan me? No, I'm just kidding. That's not the way. But it immediately changes the conversation when you start with, I need help. Will you help me? It immediately puts you on the right footing with somebody. And the same goes for, let me offer you help. How can I help you? You've got a problem, and I see it. I want to be there to help you. And he says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Be careful of your footing. Be careful if you're going to help somebody. You know, if somebody is struggling in a particular area, and you, and you follow them down the path in an attempt to struggle them, struggle with them, and it becomes a struggle for you, that's not going to do either one of you any good, is it? It's going, to, it's going to destroy both of you. So as you're struggling with somebody, be careful that you don't slip and fall down the same path that they're on. He says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. You're not that important. 
I mean, this is just straight talk. You can just, just hear Paul just talking straight to these folks. If you think you're too good to be able to help somebody, don't fool yourself. You're not that important. This was the struggle with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know. They looked at themselves as, as got it all together, man. I, I dress a certain way. I look a certain way on the outside. I want everybody to think that I got it together. So I, I fast and make my face look all pale. And, and I pray these big lofty prayers so that everybody thinks that I got it all worked out. I got it all figured out. Very rarely will you find these guys helping somebody. More often than not, they wanted to condemn as opposed to lift up. Build up, encourage. Jesus, if you look at his life, what did he want to do? He didn't want to restore people. He wanted to build people up. He wanted people to, to, to be back to the way that God originally created them. But that's not what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They wanted to condemn people. They wanted to put people down so that they looked better. And all Jesus would do is he would get down on their level in John chapter 8, we read about the, the woman who was caught in the middle of, of an adulterous act, and they drag her out into the street. And, and, and they say, well, Jesus, here's this woman caught in the middle of adultery. The law of Moses says that we're supposed to stone her to death. What do you want us to do with her? What do you want us to do with this lady? It says they were doing that in order to trap Jesus. Now, the idea was that, that if he were to say that we should stone her, well, the, the Romans are the only ones that had the power to, 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 to punish somebody by death. So they were trying to trap Jesus into being against the Romans. And they said, but the law of Moses says that we're supposed to stone her for this adulterous act. And what does Jesus do? He gets down on her level. He gets down on her level. It even says he starts writing some stuff in the sand. I don't know, I don't know what he wrote. I'll be honest with you, I got, I got some ideas. I don't know what he wrote. My guess is he wrote all their sins in the sand. And he said, you who is without sin, throw the first stone. Maybe he wrote down the names of the women that those men had committed adulterous acts with as well. I don't know. I can't tell you that for sure. Maybe he was like, Susie. You who is without sin, cast the first stone. It says that they left. It says the older ones left first, and then eventually he was standing there by himself. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus' desire was to get down on their level so he could build them up. He, he told her, he said, go and sin no more. Don't, don't, don't live this lifestyle anymore. His desire was to restore her, not to put her down. The Pharisees wanted to kill her. Put her down to the point where she was dead. But Jesus wanted to lift her up so that she could have life. And that's the way, if you want to be like Jesus, that's the way that you're supposed to help people. Build them up, encourage them. But we're either gossiping about them or we're doing nothing and trying to be like Jesus. Saying that we're loving. That's not what God's word says. That's not what we're called to do. He says, it gets a little confusing here. I'm going to explain it to you, so be patient with me. Be careful 
excuse me, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. For those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. So the idea here, the idea here is this. He is saying, the way that you're supposed to encourage them, the way that you're supposed to lift them up, is that you're supposed to examine your own self, look at what the Lord has done in your own life, look at what God has done in and through you, and then you will be able to boast in the Lord and say, this is what God has been able to do through me. This is how God has changed me and picked me up and, and restored me. And then you'll be able to, to look at your own life and say, that's how good God is. That's, that's what God is able to do. And then he says, then the discipleship process happens of, of sharing with one another, lifting each other up. At that point, it becomes a mutual process of lifting each other up. This person that he has, he has brought up out of the pit, this person that he has, he has restored and, and helped get to the place, get back on the right path, now they're able to both share in the good works that God has done in both of them. They're both able to rejoice in how good God is. Would that happen? Would that happen if you ignored the sin? Would that happen if you gossiped about the sin? No. No. Only by lovingly, gently, and humbly talking to somebody about the sin, confronting the sin one-on-one, -on -one, and then helping them back onto the right path, helping them see the restoration that exists in Jesus Christ. Only that way, only that way can you both rejoice in how good God is and the restorative power that God has, the creative power that only God has and what He is able to do in both of your lives. And you can both say, look at the place that I was. Look at the place that I was in. And look at where I am now. And it is all because of what Jesus did in and through my life. And then what do you do? What do you do? Those two go somewhere else. And they encourage somebody else back on the right path. And that person encourages somebody else. And that person encourages somebody else. It's called the kingdom of God. It's also called church. Why don't we look like that? Why don't we do that? I think we should start doing that and not doing what the world does, either ignoring it or gossiping about it. You know what else I think we should do? I think that we should lay down our pride and stop pretending like we got it all together so that maybe, just maybe, somebody will come down to the altar because they saw somebody that, man, I thought he had it all together. I thought she had it all together. But they came down at the altar, and they were giving it to God. They were, they were allowing God to, to restore them. Maybe God can do that in my life. Maybe, maybe God can, can be that for me. Maybe, just maybe, God can use your brokenness to help encourage somebody else back on the right path. And then you can both share in His glory and His goodness. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your weakness. Don't be afraid of people seeing your weakness.
Don't be afraid of people seeing you cry. Don't be afraid of people seeing you shed tears over your sin. You know, I, I got to thinking the other day. I, I, I cry all the time. I really do. I'm a crier, all right? You guys know that about me. But the thing I cry about most is probably the, the stuff y'all don't see me cry about. And that is the struggles that are internal to me. And when I'm driving on my way to Birmingham and, and, and tears are just flowing down my eyes because I'm listening to some Christian music on the radio and God is just breaking my heart over something that needs to be taken out of my life or something that he's dealing with me about. The struggles that I've got in my life, I don't have it all figured out. I wish I did. I wish I did. The only thing I know to do is to go to Jesus. The only thing you can do is go to Jesus. The only way that you can be restored and picked up and, and deal with the stuff you got going on is go to Him. So let's stop pretending like nobody else is struggling. Let's stop pretending like we're not struggling. Let's just give all that up and go to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for breaking my heart over the things in my life that I need to repent of. Thank you for showing me those things. Thank you for crushing my heart, Father, to the point that I just have to repent and I have to come to you and I have to say, God, help me in my weakness. I thank you, God, for those broken moments when I turn to you. God, and you restore, you encourage, God, and you build back up. Lord, thank you for those moments. God, I'm so sorry for the times that I've missed the opportunity to help somebody else see that. To help somebody else out of the, the place that they're in. God, I just pray, Lord, that I be a light for you in such a way that, God, I can, I can go to people. And I can address their sin with them one-on-one. -on -one, not for the purpose of condemning them. Not for the purpose of making them feel bad. But for the purpose of drawing them to you. Yes, there may be pain involved. There may be a struggle involved. But I pray that I would struggle alongside them. I pray that I would bear their burdens with them. God, for the sole purpose of drawing them back to you. And you getting glory for it all. So Lord however you need to use this word God I pray I pray that we would surrender to you we would follow you and we'd be the godly people that you called us to be in Galatians chapter 6 God we would be those kind of people God there are broken people here I know there are people right now that are struggling with sin and they're struggling with, with a difficult time in their life and they don't know a way out God, I just pray they would come to this altar. God, they'd fall before you. God, that they'd just open up their hearts to you. And God, you would do surgery on their hearts. And God, I pray that there would be another godly person that would come and wrap an arm around them. God, they don't have to say any words. If they feel led to say words, they can. But they, they would just wrap an arm around them. And God, they would struggle alongside them. Praying for them, lifting them up. Letting them know that they're not alone. 
God, help us to be like Jesus. Help us to lift people up just like you did. God, we love you. We thank you for working through your word, God, and challenging us the way that you have. God, be glorified now in this time as we're obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't be afraid to come down here if you need to.